it's it's always hard when you have two large companies, even even if you buy a small company, because every company has a different culture, mm-hmm. and you try to you try to combine those. Um, but you know, you just do your best to communicate, just like property management. Yeah, you know? there's like you got to communicate. You got to communicate. I don't throw darts at a board. I bet on sure things. Sweet Sun Tzu, the art of war. Every battle is won before it's ever fought. Think about it. Welcome to another episode of the Profitable Property Management Podcast. I'm your host, Jordan Muela, and today I have none other than Andy Propst with me. Andy, thanks for coming on, brother. How are you doing, man? I'm doing great. This is great. We're just diving right in. I like it. Yeah, there's no other way to do it. Yeah, I like it. Otherwise, all the good stuff uh, gets recorded while the camera's off. So you just walked in the room, and we're just diving in. So I want to get an update on a couple of things. You and I have podcasted, oh, I don't know, three, four times. We've done it on my podcast. We've done some other podcasts. Yeah. You're a, a consummately interesting figure in the industry. That's so nice. Doing interesting things. So I want to get the, the update from you. What has been new in your world? What are you working on? Give me the, the state of Andy Propst. Yeah. I mean, we have been busy. Uh, you know, I, I took my company, uh, as some people know, some people don't. So I'll give you a little background. Took my company along with two other co-founders. We created a company called Home River Group back in 2016. So that's been five years ago, two days ago or six years ago. So. We had our six-year anniversary. Congrats! So, yeah, it's pretty cool. We 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 partnered with a private equity company. Uh, since then, we've done over twenty acquisitions. Um, one one of which recently uh, last year was Property Frameworks. Crazy, uh, doubled our size. It's a huge acquisition. A huge acquisition. Uh, quite a big ripple. A lot of work, but our team, you know, got it done. It was it was crazy. So we've been integrating those two cultures, and they've got like a, they've got great service. Uh, they, they came from Realogy, which is obviously a public company. So we bought a public company, uh, a division of a public company and then merged it with our company, which was just, which is super exciting. We all learned a lot and, uh, we're just merging those two cultures together. Luckily, they're great people and we retained almost a hundred percent of them, which has been, which has been amazing. Uh, cause as you know, it's just so hard to find good people. Of course. Um, let, let's, let's dig in here. There's yeah, a lot of meat yeah, on the bone. With there's this a one. lot. There's so much. So th- how did this deal come together? Did you find it? Did it find you? How did that come together? Yes, it's a good question. So, uh, Robert Way, you probably know that mm-hmm. name. Uh, Absolutely. So he was, he was the, the main guy that, that started this whole thing. He originally bought Mark Creditor's company, uh, get their first realty back in, I think it was 2014 or 2013. Mm-hmm. And then started doing small acquisitions, grew organically through the Realogy name. And I just got to know Robert over the years and, uh, you know, introduced him to some people on our team. So I think they were, they were talking to some other companies. And luckily for us, we were, we were the right fit for them. Um, so if it wasn't for NARPM, I would have never met Robert and this deal probably would have never happened. So, uh, you know, NARPM put him in front of me, uh, way, way back in the day. And, uh, we just, even though we were obviously competitors, just like everybody else in NARPM, we just treat each other as colleagues and try to help each other out. And, uh, you know, I've got a, a great story about, uh, potentially hiring one of his, one of his people. And, uh, we had, we had some, we had some talks back, back and forth. Ultimately, we didn't hire him because we didn't want to make that, uh, relationship sour. That could be awkward. It could, it could have been super awkward. So that was like two years before we acquired him. And I think, 
because, you know, we did the, we did the right thing and, uh, didn't burn that relationship. Um, you know, he, I think he respected us and came to us and said, Hey, this is, we're going a different direction. We're going to really focus on real estate. I want to hear about that. That's really interesting Yeah, to, to exit and instead of leaning in, what, what is the calculus as best you understand it on Realogy's part to, to make that strategic decision? Yeah, I think, I think obviously the real estate market just got really hot and the property management business was just a distraction and they really just wanted to focus, focus on, you know, continuing, obviously Realogy is massive. So if listeners aren't familiar, Realogy has, you know, Caldwell Banker, uh, 20, uh, 20, uh, 2021 for 21st century real estate. Mm-hmm. Was it called century 21? I've got it backwards. Century 21. Um, you know, better homes and gardens. So they're the largest real estate franchise or in the world. Wow. Uh, and they got somehow got into this property management business and they said, you know what? This is not, you know, the direction we want to go. And, uh, luckily for us, we were there. We were there to be able to take that, uh, that, that vertical from them and add it to our business. Now, how do you feel about that in reverse? What does the brokerage function look like for HRG? Yeah. So, um, we, we focus on brokerage, uh, generally across, you know, all of our, all of our locations are licensed. We have, we have brokers, we have agents. Um, but it is, it's very small portion of what we do. I mean, our, our main focus is, you know, third party, full service property management, uh, maintenance coordination, uh, maintenance. We do some brokerage, you know, I, I spend a very small amount of my t- amount of my time doing real estate, uh, brokerage, mostly on the multifamily side, but generally we are full, full service property management shop, but we're trying, uh, just like most companies right now is, is if, if investors do want to sell, we try to retain that business, um, either sell sure. it, sell it to, um, another investor that we have or, you know, try to keep it in house and sell it to a retail buyer. So back to the property frameworks deal. What was the timing? Talk to me about due diligence. I mean, this is a monster, monster deal. deal. How does a deal like this go down? Yeah. I mean, again, uh, it always goes back to relationships. So, you know, again, again, that relationship with Robert and the other, the other folks, one of my, one of my best, one of my best friends in the property management business, uh, used to work for them. So I always had a great relationship with the folks at property frameworks. So, um, you know, once, once, once we, we heard that they might be, uh, available for sell, immediately got with my team, uh, our private equity company, got the information. And then it was just an, a massive amount of due diligence. We actually closed the deal, uh, pretty, pretty quick. I think it was like 60 days. 60 days. Um, you yes. did the due diligence in yeah. 60 days. D- d- diligence and close in 60 days. Wow. Yeah. Andy, that is wild. Yeah. And then we took, uh, a couple months. Uh, towards the end of the year to kind of just let them continue to do what they, what they did. And then once, uh, 2021 came along, we, uh, integrated the two companies. So, and was there anything was more or less onerous about acquiring a division of a publicly traded company? No, not, not really. I mean, I wasn't, you know, the, the private equity team and our acquisitions team, luckily we have that. Um, you know, so I wasn't involved in the day to day, like what all, what, what, there's so many attorneys involved in a sure, deal like that, sure. that they check all those boxes. So there probably was some stuff that had to get done. Um, what that is, I don't, I don't remember, or I, I don't, you know, I'm not sure. Now, how do you onboard and uh, what, what, what was it? How large was the acquisition? Um, they had, uh, between 12 and 13,000 units. So how do you onboard 12,000 units, Andy? Well, yeah, good question. I'll let you know when we figure that out. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, you know, again, we, we like day one, we all jumped on the phone. So, you know, my, uh, our, our president, um, and CEO, myself, uh, some of the other, you know, C-suite leaders at HRG 
jumped on. They had everybody on the call at the same time. So we did this during COVID. It was like crazy, you know, like at the end of 2020. So a lot going on. So we had their whole company on, uh, and we made this announcement and, you know, we just, we just tried to be open, as, as open and honest and clear about what we were going to do. Um, you know, obviously we valued, valued what they did and all the employees. And so we just tried to make that clear from the beginning. And then they saw that basically after we made the acquisition that their key people had key roles at HRG mm-hmm. and that they, they stayed. Um, so, you know, it's, it's always hard when you have, two large companies, even, even if you buy a small company, cause every company has a different culture mm-hmm. and you try to, you try to combine those. Um, but you know, you just do your best to communicate just like property management. Yeah. You know? There's like, you got to communicate, you got to communicate. So over communicate, uh, you know, be there if they have questions and, you know, luckily we have a, a really good HR team and we just deployed as many folks as we could to make sure that that transition went smoothly. And we, I think we did a great job because we retained most of the folks, if not all of them. There's always those questions about what culture is going to win. Yes. Are they, are they going to feel like the outsiders coming in? Sure. Are the insiders going to be kind and inviting? Or are they going to be territorial? Right. That's incredible. You've been able to have that level of retention. Yes. When you think about the overall play that HRG is executing, I'd love to hear from you how you would describe the playbook that HRG is running as contrasted against some of the other larger, larger national players. Sure. For our listeners out there, what are some of the, the distinctives of the playbook that you feel like you're running? Yeah. I mean, we've got, obviously, I think, I think one of the, the, the key things that we offer, right? Uh, especially to institutionals and mom and pops that have properties in multiple states, we're in 60 plus markets. That's, that's pretty good coverage in this business, right? So there's other, there's other larger companies that are out there trying to do, what we're doing or have done or whatever, but we have great coverage. So as all this institutional capital comes in the space, especially in the build to rent space, uh, you know, all these, all these other small funds that are raising money, cause raising money right now, it's the easiest it's ever been in the history of raising money. There's money everywhere. People can raise it, but they don't, they don't have time to get their operations together. They can raise the capital. They can go out and acquire stuff. Mm-hmm. But the nuts and bolts of managing the property is very difficult. So we get a lot of those institutional leads right now because, um, people just are having a hard time building a property, man- like, you know, building a property management vertical overnight and they can't do it. So we're, that's, that's a big play for us right now, just our coverage. And the fact that all of those, um, all those companies, they had, years and years of experience in those markets. And we've retained those people that we've acquired those companies. So you look at like a Bob Machado, a Steve Foster, some of these past presidents of NARPM, um, you know, we've acquired their company, Robert Locke, acquired their company. They've been there forever. They have knowledge that goes back decades. And so we have that local expertise in all those markets. And we, we allow those folks to operate their business. Um, Cause as you know, property management is super fragmented. It's different from market to market, from city to city, even in, in the same state. So we give them, you know, kind of operational, uh, operational ability to do what they need to do, but everything, we are all in the same system and all, all that information goes in the system the same way. So our reporting is great. Um, I, I want to hear more details related to institutional institutional sure. is like a mixed bag, right? Like for some folks, they, it's very attractive because it's a large ramp. It's a lot of units. It can be a big check. Other folks will tell you, well, eventually they're going to internalize. Yep. They're going to be demanding. They're going to make you use Yardy specialized reporting sure. for folks that are interested or have interacted with the possibility of servicing an institutional client. What's the eyes wide open caveats that you would give around serving that kind of client? Sure. Well, look, um, 
Yeah, you're right. If you talk about institutional investors to property managers, you're going to get mostly negative feedback, right? Because it didn't go well the first time. Um, the, you know, the institutions didn't do the property managers any favors and vice versa. Mm-hmm. So, you know, they got overwhelmed. The property management companies went from, you know, 200 doors to five, 500 doors overnight. And that just, it just, it just didn't go well. So, um, it was a, it was a very quick ramp and then a very quick pullback. So, we didn't have a home river group or a, a mind or a pure back, back then that could, that could, was really trained to handle institutions. We have, you know, six, seven, eight hundred employees. We have a lot of resources we can throw at something. So I'm hoping the second time around with the, with the resources that we have, it's going to be a different story, uh, for these institutions that mm-hmm. they can feel confident to reach out to us and say, look, uh, it's a, it's a different experience because you guys have the resources, you have the institutional knowledge, mm-hmm. um, to be able to handle these things versus last time they just called up a bunch of mom and pops that had three or 400 doors and said, here's a thousand do doors. This? Good luck. And everybody's like, yeah, yeah, we can do it. And then six months later, it, it, it wasn't working out. All right. Let's pivot off of institutional here. That was interesting. Yeah, so yeah, just real quick. Cause you were going somewhere. I think it was important because. Um, you know, generally institutions, as they get large enough, they, they, they go public and we understand that, uh, they need to internalize for, for that, for that offering. Right. But there's, is that like a hard requirement? That's a, yeah, I mean, generally that's what, that's what most of them was were saying, but, um, but the different flavor of management generally is what they, they hit in one market. They'd have great experience. Another market, they'd have a horrible experience. But they just tried to like make that service consistent across all markets. Sure. So they internalized that business. But again, we, we, now we have companies that are in multiple markets and can handle that, that, that influx of units, whatever it is. Um, so I think if we can do a good job and our competitors, our colleagues out there that are trying to do what we do, if they can do a good job and offer consistent service across multiple markets, then they, that, that, um, temptation for them to internalize is not going to be there like it was the first time. So, I hope we can take advantage of the second round of institutional players and do a better job uh, of them giving us the units and us managing those units. And I'm saying not not HRG. I'm talking about property managers Broadly. in general. Uh, then we can retain that business because sure, there's a bunch of there's a bunch of institutionals that went public, but there's hundreds of them that haven't, and there's hundreds more that are currently raising money and buying homes like crazy right now because the capital's on the sidelines. Well, let's just talk about what the the, the profile or the interests of the institutional client, talk about reporting, they're making me use Yardy, whatever. What are their specific priorities that you're catering to? And not, not just the things that they make you do to conform to their way of doing business, but what are the interests that are driving the demands that they're making? Yeah, I think, I mean, what one thing that we see all the time is just consistency, consistency in reporting. It's obviously, it's all about the numbers. It's all about reporting. So making sure that we have, uh, cause we have actually at, at HRG, we have an institutional accounts group, IAG. Dedicated. Dedicated to all the institutional business that we manage. And we've managed, we've managed for some of these companies for six, seven years. I mean, and they're still, they're still hiring us and they buy homes every month. And there's some that have just raised a bunch of money that are just buying, you know, couple, couple hundred, couple thousand units a month even. It's, it's, it's crazy, but. What they want is consistent service, consistent data. I mean, that's, if, if we can do that, that's the, that's the 20% that knocks out the 80%. If we can, you know, get all, all the, all the folks that they have, if we can answer their questions, if we can get them the data and that data is clean, then they're happy, right? It, you know, they're not worried about, um, 
occupancy rates or whatever. They just, they just really want good service and good data. And if we can do that, we, we solve their problems. A corollary to this conversation would be the broader concern about institutions absorbing more, a large increasing size of us housing. Is this good for the economy? Is it bad for the economy? Good for the industry, bad for the industry. What's your take on that? Yeah. Um, well, look, it's probably a good thing because people, people need the flexibility to, uh, to, to rent homes, right? There's, there's been a bunch of apartments that were built and those were built because a lot of the single family inventory that was for rent was decimated because of the, the, the real estate market. A lot of those investors, reluctant investors or non-reluctant investors said, look, the prices are too high. It's time to kick out the tenants and monetize this investment, right? So that happened, you know, from call it 2013 until, until today. Most of those reluctant landlords have sold long ago. So that decimated the single family. I mean, as you know, a lot of these companies went from a thousand rental properties that they managed down to, to 400. It wasn't because they were offering a bad service. It's just because the market was hot and they sold all these things. But there's still a huge demand, as you know, to rent single family homes. So you have institutions that can go out there and raise that money and provide that product. There's still not enough, but if they weren't doing it, I don't think anybody else would be doing it at these prices. So I think for the the, the demand of real estate uh, and renters, the flexibility to rent a single family home, I think it's a really good thing. Obviously, it makes it very hard for mom and pop investor to go out there and pencil a uh, you know a four cap single family rental when they're used to buying them at an eight, nine, and ten cap. So. Um, but you know, you put your money in, in, in bonds or the, the, you know, you put your money in the, in the bank account and you're not getting a good return. So these, these institutions are saying, look, we've got to go find return somewhere. Um, you know, the, the best hedge against inflation, as you know, is real estate. And so maybe, maybe today they're overpaying for something, but probably not tomorrow. Real estate's pretty darn good asset to get in. They're not making any more of it, man. They, yeah, that's they print right. Print a lot more dollars, but they're not making any more real estate. That's right, and I'm sure inevitably at some point there will be a market turn. But what's not going to change is the fundamentals of the business. One of the fundamentals of the business is the decisions that you make around what kind of asset class to manage, how you're going to run the business. Right. Talk to me about the compounding complexity of managing different asset classes and different markets. There's clearly a lift here. Sure. Different 100%. regulatory environments. What's the 80-20 of navigating that to be take maximal advantage of the revenue opportunities while not stepping in it by embracing edge cases and a level of complexity that can just make it unwieldy? Yeah, those edge cases are are so tempting, but uh, you got to you got to like regulate it. So yeah, we're only really in two asset classes. Uh, so you know, single family, small multifamily, and then traditional multifamily. That's all we do. We don't do uh, office. We don't do industrial. So. But, you know, we, as, as we grow bigger and bigger, and I think one thing that you, that you know, I think what one asset that we have is I, I feel like we have the best sales team in property management. And You're a crack A team. For obviously sure. we, we, you know, we use your software. We couldn't do it without it. Right. I love that. Happy to partner with you. Um, I think we've got 20 full-time BDMs across, you know, the country trying to cover 60 markets. It's a, it's a big job. And of course they, they get paid by bringing on units. And so, um, but we have great regional managers, local market managers that say, you know, here's the guidelines where we bring these on, where, where we bring these on. And, um, we, you know, we have to stick to those guidelines. And then on the multifamily side, there's a lot of opportunity there, especially on the build, build to rent side and build to rent on single family side. So, um, 
you know, we, we completely manage that business differently than we do our single family side. We have a different software. We have a different model. We have different management fees. It's, uh, it's, you know, it's apples and oranges. So we use, we use that business mostly for build to rent, uh, single site communities and traditional multifamily. And then all the other is single family and duplexes and fourplexes. That's, that's all we do. So, um, if we, if we kind of stay within those bounds, we don't typically bring on anything that's, I'd call it less than a C plus asset. Um, you know, we can, we can operate generally the same across most markets. Could you give me a quick hit list of the most common unforced errors that you see property managers inflicting on their own businesses? Oh my gosh. Um, I mean, the big, the big one, you know, especially as we do a lot of the diligence, um, there's, there's, as, as you know, a lot of it, and it's not, it's not a huge issue, but, um, just not having the resources and the accounting, you know, that need to be there for property accounting, for corporate accounting. Um, you know, so we spend a lot of time, especially with the smaller companies trying to get that data right. So they know. I bet you wish they were all in the ARPA mechanic standard. Oh, a hundred percent. Uh, 100%. That was one of the best things we did at, at NARPM. Um, so, you know, having, having some, uh, clear guidance on, uh, accounting, getting, and it's, and it's so hard to fight, to even hire these accounting folks, uh, that can do a good job uh, on the property side. So we see a lot of frustration from the ownership on the property accounting. Uh, we, we sometimes see, you know, weird stuff in the books on, on the corporate accounting. Which again, we can work through that. That's not an, that's not an issue. And then, um, you know, just as, as, as you probably know, and I'm not saying anything bad about property managers, but just the, uh, the reluctancy to implement new whatever, mm-hmm. a better service, uh, change an answer, management, an answer revenue, um, you know, hiring a BDM, changing their property management software because their software isn't working. Um, you know, I, I challenge property managers in my business and outside my business. As you know, most of my best friends are competitors of mine. I'll, ch- I'll challenge them. Hey, like you got to step into the discomfort, right? Um, and this people that are, have their property management business, um, they, they, they're generally just kind of scared to step out of that comfort zone and try something new. Um, and it's, it's holding, it's holding them back, you know, and I don't, I, no matter, no matter what, company it is, if they work for HRG or not, I want them to be successful. I want them to offer good service because that helps lift our whole industry up. And I see a lot of property managers just put up with a lot of crap, do the same thing they're always doing because they're just afraid to just step into that discomfort. And, um, that's where, that's where magic happens when you, you get up and you push yourself to go do something that you don't want to do, but you know, ultimately it's going to be great in the long run. So, I mean, that's, that would, that would be my general uh, challenge to the property management industry is, you know, Hey, get, get, put your, you know, like software companies, you guys have a roadmap, right? And you, you work on it. Do you hit it perfectly every time? No, but that's what I'd say. Hey, if you're a property management company and like fix, Hey, the, the, if I did these two things and, and these two things only in 2020, 2022, it would make the greatest impact in my business. And, and for heaven's sake, just freaking do it. Even though it's hard, you got to work a little harder you, you know, you might miss a ball game or whatever, but it's going to pay off in the, in the long run. Um, and you know what? A lot of these property managers, uh, the guys, the owners, a lot of the times they don't want to do this stuff because their, their employees push back on it. Mm-hmm. I don't want to, I don't want to make my employees upset or mm-hmm. whatever.
you know, ultimately it's going to be good for them too, because you're going to make more money. You're going to make their lives easier. In the meantime, it might be a little difficult, but eventually it's going to be a better place to work. You're going to make more money, but you just got to get over that immediate discomfort. You got to share the vision and hold the vision. Yeah. I love that. Let's end it here. Could you give me one book and one podcast that's been impactful to you over the last couple of years? Yeah. Um, I'm reading a book. I'm trying to remember the guy's last name. It's his first name's Jordan. Uh, it's a brand new book. Just came out. It's called You Deserve This S H I T. Okay. It's fantastic. So again, if you're, if you're looking for, um, a, a book that's going to challenge you and push you out of your comfort zone. Cause I mean, it happens to everybody, right? We, as, as human nature, we, we look to go into the safe space, right? So I'm constantly listening to Audible or podcasts or something to keep pushing myself out there to, 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 to basically, um, embrace discomfort, uh, because it's, it's easy in this society to get comfortable, right? So I've just got to keep telling myself, like, go out there and, uh, and do that. So that's a great book. You deserve this shit. It's by Jordan. I think his last name starts with a P. We'll drop it in the show it's, notes. It's, we'll it's find great. it. It's a great book. It's a local guy in Seattle did the book. Podcast Smartless. Love it. Smartless. Smartless. So, uh, Will Arnett. Yeah, I know what Sean you're talking Hayes, about. <laughs> and Jason, ba- J- Jason Bateman. Definitely not a business. No, no, se, there's, but... there's so many business nuggets that come out of yeah. there. Yeah. Cause they're, they're interviewing these, you know, Hollywood folks and comedians and, and, you know, business, business, business folks, but they all have, um, you know, they all have side businesses and kind of what they're doing and how they manage all that stuff. So if you think you're busy, get on that podcast and see what all these people are doing. And it'll really put your life in perspective. Like, yeah, yeah, I can, I can do more. I can, I can, I can manage my life better to go do more. And it's super funny. Um, and yeah, I, I look forward every Monday when the new pod, the new podcast comes out. They're a great, they're a great group of guys. And, um, I really love what, it, how it teaches you to kind of, um, to step into the conversation. They, they're really good about stepping into the conversation, not shutting down. Um, other people. Um, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a great listen. It's super funny too. I love the share. We're going to drop it in the show notes. Sweet. I want to thank you for your generosity yeah, to the industry. You. I really appreciate people like you that as your success has grown, you seem like you've contributed even more and given even more back to the industry. Oh, so. it's, yeah. I mean, obviously it's, it's given me so much, especially, you know, NARPM and uh, the people here are just so kind and wonderful. It's, uh, you know, if there's anything I can do to help anybody, with anything, um, you know, always, always wanted to do it. Always willing. Thanks again for coming on. Another Thanks time, for having brother. me, man. Good Un- time. Until next time. Jordan here asking you, what do you got? What is a question you want to ask me? Can you stump me? Can you throw me something hard, perplexing, vexing, something you feel tied up in knots with? Throw it at me. I'll do my best to try and answer that question, to dissect it, to parse out the nuance and maybe help you get a bit more clarity. I'm looking for questions as the basis for creating content and you're looking for answers as the basis for clarity and wouldn't it be perfect if those two things matched up? Drop a comment, send me me an email, jordan at leadsimple.com. Let's stay in the conversation. Peace.